This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Man, that worship was good. I wanted to punch something. You know, it's good worship when you're like, I want to punch something. I thought Judy was going to punch me. Get your being transformed journals out. We're in a series right now called Stronger. We've been talking about how this must be stronger than that. It's been such a good series. I feel like I say this about every time we do a series here at New Song Church. I'm like, this is the best series we've ever done. But it really, I feel like it is. It's always so good. And uh, man, last week, Josh Romano did such a great job. Before him, Pastor Jackson. Pastor Sarah kicked us off. It's been such a great series. And the series is kind of built around this idea that this must be stronger than that, that that what God is doing in the church, what he's doing in us, what we're fighting for, what we're fighting against must be stronger than what's going on in the world out there. There's a kingdom that we're a part of, the kingdom of God. And, and and, And part of what we're called to do is bring about the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world. There's a kingdom of darkness that exists, and we're to invade that kingdom of darkness with this message of Jesus Christ. And so we've been saying stuff like if the truth of God is going to be built in a culture built on deception, if, if, if the love of God is going to be recognized in a culture and an atmosphere that's full of hate, if, if, if freedom is going to be discovered and experienced by people who are bound by an oppressor, if we are going to be the people God's called us to be, if the church is going to be the church that, that Jesus Christ bled and died for, then there are some thises that have to be stronger than some that's. There's some stuff that we have to come to terms with, that we have to fight for, that we have to fight against, that we have to pursue and go after. There's some this that has to be stronger than that. If you've missed any of the messages, make sure you go back and and catch up with us. Today, I want to talk to you along the idea of generosity must be stronger than fear. This generosity must be stronger than fear. Now, some of you right now are starting to think, okay, this is a message about my money. And yes, we are going to talk about your money a little bit because money is a part of your life. But, but at the end of the day, this message really, it's, it's about this gospel message of Jesus. And it's about living a life of generosity. It's about bringing this gospel good news message of a generous God into a world that is bound and broken and afraid and, and being destroyed. It's, it's us being the church that God has designed us to be. And so I want to encourage you to just open up your heart, open up your mind to hear what God wants to say to you today. Let's pray as we jump into the word. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that you would just speak to every person in this room today. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me over the next few moments to share this word that you put on my heart and and to communicate it in such a way that it it lands with every person in the room. I, I pray that each and every person in this room would walk away having felt like they received of a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Not, not, a talk from Josh, but a word of the Lord. So we ask you to move. We say that you're welcome in this place. We know that you're here and we ask you to speak to us, reveal your truth to us. We thank you for what you're going to do. We give you praise for it in Jesus name. Amen. In World War II, as a part of the Nazi strategy of invading England, 
they began this, this campaign, this bombing campaign of this area of England called Southampton. It was called the Southampton Blitz. And the reason they, they went after this area called Southampton is because Southampton was an area of England where a lot of military factories were. And specifically, there was a factory there that was producing this plane called the Spitfire. I've got a picture of it up here. And the Spitfire plane was a war machine plane like, like no other of its day. This plane was really incredible. And it had two advantages that set it apart from all the other planes of the day. One was it had an amazing capacity to carry uh, weapons on it. In fact, it had uh, eight machine guns, four on each wing. And so for its size and for its mobility and its speed, uh, this thing could, could unload, it could overwhelm enemies with the firepower that it brought. That's why it's called the spit fire. It could spit some serious fire. That was one of the great advantages it had. The other advantage it had was its maneuverability because the way that it was designed and because of the engine, it had a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine in it, which enabled it to go 606 miles an hour, which at the time it was the second fastest plane that existed, but the fastest plane that had the, the amount of weaponry on it that existed. And so it, it could not only go fast, but it could maneuver really well because the way the wings were designed, the way that the plane was shaped, the sucker could turn on a dime. And so this thing was a beast. Like this thing was loaded for bear and it was faster and could maneuver better than any other plane in the sky. And so the Nazis recognized that this plane gave England air superiority. And as they, they worked to invade England, they understood if we're going to invade England, we, we have to do something to ground this plane. And so they began this Southampton Blitz to take out the runways so that the plane couldn't take off, so that it couldn't land, to stop the production of this plane because they, they figured if we can stop the production of this plane, we can gain air superiority and we can actually get into England and take over England. And so they began this bombing campaign and all 57 attacks on the city were made. 1,500 air raid warnings were issued. 2,300 bombs were dropped, amounting in 470 tons of high explosives. 300,000 incendiary devices were dropped on the city and nearly 45,000 buildings were leveled and destroyed. This is how threatened the Nazis were by the Spitfire. They knew this plane could do major damage to their agenda and so they bombed it like crazy. An all-out blitz was instigated against this plane because there was a superior weapon with two great advantages that they understood if we're gonna invade England, we have to ground this weapon with its advantages. Now, hold on to that thought. In Acts chapter two, we have the church being birthed. And so this is after Jesus has died on the cross for people's sin, he's been resurrected. The day of Pentecost has taken place at this point where the promised Holy Spirit descends down on his people and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit takes place. God fills people with his spirit and it begins to outpour on the world around them and the world starts getting shook. And from the jump, we, we see the church is operating in power and significance. Lives are being changed. People are being healed. And out of this outpouring, we see two primary advantages that are being weaponized against the kingdom of darkness in this world. One is evangelism and two is generosity. Yeah. Acts chapter two, look at this with me, verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message, this is talking about Peter. Peter has just gotten up after, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after the day of Pentecost, all these people get filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak in tongues and people that don't know what they're saying, look at them and say, these people are drunk. Peter gets up and says, they're not drunk. And he begins to share the gospel message with them. After this message, 
people were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Church, this is some radical church growth right here. 3,000 people being, being added to the church in one day. Serious church growth. And what I want you to see as we look at this is this is the beginning of what is affecting us to this day. This is the beginning. You are a part of this outpouring that took place all these years ago at the day, in, in this day. 3,000 people become saved. Why? Because there's a message of evangelism that goes out. But the message of evangelism is not just a message that is spoken. It's a message that is lived. It's not just talking a talk, but it's actually living a walk. In fact, let me give you a definition of evangelism if you're taking notes. Evangelism is proclaiming and living. Proclaiming and living. Notice it's not just speaking something. It's living something out. There's an action in our life that speaks to what we are saying we believe in our heart, proclaiming and living the good news of the salvation found through Christ alone. So it's not just saying something, it's, it's living something out. There's actions connected to a life that's living out evangelism. And that's what we see take place here in the next few verses. We see the church that's being birthed, working in action. Things are being done and it's evangelizing the world. Look at this, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. I want you to notice that word devoted. They were devoted. That's the Greek word proskoterio. It means they were dedicated to the point of, of being dedicated in action despite difficulty. That means that they were so dedicated that no matter what came against them, they were going to continue to walk in action and to live this out despite what it cost them, despite it being difficult, despite there being some hardship, they were going to keep walking this out, keep living this out. And notice some of the things that they're dedicated to, teaching and fellowship, going to church, connecting with other people in the body of Christ, the church, connecting with people outside of the body of Christ, the church to breaking bread, to eating together, sharing in a meal together, taking communion together, and to prayer, praying for each other, praying with each other. These people are living out this Jesus life. They're not just saying that they believe it. They're living in such a way that the actions of, the li of their life prove what they say they believe in their heart. They were being the church. This is the church in action. They understood something that I hope you understand today. And that is that we are the church, the church. Listen, let me, let me help you with something. You're in a building, but you are the church. And I need you to leave this building today. And I need you to go out there into that. And I need you to take this, the church into that. That's how we make a difference. Listen, we're called to come together, to assemble together. Don't forsake assembling together with other believers. We assemble together. We come together. We worship God to glorify God, to pour out our praise to him. We sit under the word so that we can be trained and taught and equipped so that we can then take this and go into that. We can scatter into that and go into our schools and go into our homes and go into uh, on cue and go into the mall and go into wherever it is that you go, the gym, your workplace, go there and be the church God has called us to be. I hope you know Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for the church. Christ died for the church. Ephesians 5, we read it in our Being Transformed journal this week. He died for the church. He gave his life for the church and he wasn't dying for a building. Like he wasn't hanging on the cross, dying for rebar and concrete and brick and mortar. He wasn't hanging on the cross going, man, I sure hope they can get to 50,000 square feet. And I hope they get the smoke just right and the lights just right. No, no, no. He was dying for people, dying for people. You, you guys remember the old little thing we used to do when we were kids? Some of you remember this. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door. 
See all the people here, remember that? Let me, let me correct that today. Can I correct that today? This is a building. It may have a steeple. You open the door and this is the church. Look at the person beside you. Do this with your fingers and go, hey, we're the church. This is the church. We're the church. It's weird, but do it, okay? We're the church. And as a church, listen, we are called to be a church of action. In fact, the, the word church is the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia, it means a called out congregation. It means a people with an out calling. So yes, we come together, we assemble together, but then we take what we've assembled together and been equipped and learned and been taught and we, we connect with each other and then we go out into the world and we bring this gospel message. We take this into that. Somebody say amen. amen. And so that's what's happening with this Acts 2 church. They're moving in action. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Everyone, church folk and non-church folk. Everyone's looking at this going, this is amazing. What God is doing here, this is awesome. They were, they were in awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So God's doing some supernatural stuff. Signs and miracles and works of God are being done. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And everything in common, it means that they cared for one another's needs. It doesn't mean they, like they were living in this commune and they had a communal bank account. Like that's not what that means. It means that they were sharing what they had. In fact, it goes on to say, verse 45, they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. In other words, here's what they're doing. They're looking at the blessings that God has blessed them with. They're looking at the overflow that they have in their life and they're looking for opportunities to take the blessing of their life, the overflow of their life and leverage that to be generous to those who have needs to bless others, to have each other's back in the church and to help those outside of the church. They are being the church. Listen, this is called generosity. Let me give you a definition of generosity. Generosity is living a life that matches the giving nature of God. Living a life that matches the giving nature of God by outrageously and joyfully. Someone say joyfully. joyfully. Giving of our time, our treasure, our talents to help heaven come to earth. So notice this generosity stuff. It's not just about money. Money's a part of it. Yes, but it's not all of it. It's a generous life. It's recognizing that everything we have is from God. Everything good, everything you have worth bragging about, God gave it to you. Your skills, your talents, your mind, your looks, whatever you have that you could brag about, God is the one who blessed you with it. And so we say, God, you've given me everything. And so I offer everything to you. I, I will be a good steward of what you've blessed me with. I will manage well what you put in my hands. And I will look for opportunities to take what you put in my hands, my life, and leverage it for the kingdom of God, for your blessing, for your benefit. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People are getting saved. The church is growing. Generations are being affected. We're a part of that. All because what? Because these people are taking this message of Jesus and they're through evangelism lived out evangelism and generosity, they're sharing it with the world and it's making an impact. And what I want you to see today is that generosity and evangelism go hand in hand. In order for our evangelism to do what it needs to do in this world, it, it has to be partnered with a generous heart, with generosity. 
The God we serve is a generous God. And so let's go back to that spitfire. I believe that evangelism and generosity are like those, those, those weapons that set the spitfire apart. Evangelism is kind of like the, the machine guns. It's, it's this message that we can bring into the world that can overwhelm the message of this world. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that are overwhelmed by the message of the world. They're overwhelmed with fear. They're overwhelmed with no hope. They're overwhelmed with, with, with all the issues of today. And we can come along with this message of Jesus that says, hey, your life may be a mess. You may have made a lot of mistakes, but there is a God who loves you. And he loves you enough that he sent Jesus to save you. And the work to save you has already been done. And you can be pulled out of this. And there's hope and there's freedom and there's peace and there's purpose. And it's found in Jesus. And that can overwhelm those who are being overwhelmed by the world. But in order for that message... To get where it needs to go, it has to be partnered with some generosity. Because generosity is, is like the engine. It's like the wings on the Spitfire. It, it gives it the ability to go to places and, and, and access an atmosphere so that it can go where it needs to go. It's through our generosity that we're able to get into the hearts and minds of people to get their guard down so they, they can receive of the message of Jesus Christ. And, and I would say this, without generosity, I would argue that the gospel gets grounded. That if we're not living a generous life, if we're not a generous people, that the gospel's ability to be brought into the world and to image God like it should gets grounded. And so you better believe that this enemy that recognizes we have these two advantages is going to do everything he can to bomb us and blitz us to keep that message grounded to keep this weapon, this, this ability, this strength that God's given us grounded from being able to go where it needs to go and do what it needs to do. So he's gonna bomb your life. And here's what he bombs you with, fear. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the greatest reason why we struggle with generosity is fear. The greatest enemy of generosity is fear. Think about it specifically to the gospel message. Why is it that we struggle telling people about Jesus? It's fear. Like, why is it that we don't go up to that person at the grocery store? Or we don't go up to that person at work and start talking to them about Jesus. Like, we're, we're afraid. Like, what if they think I'm a psycho, right? Or what if I go to talk to that person and it turns out they're like an atheist scientist and they know all this stuff and I don't know how to, I don't know what to say and they make me look like an idiot. What if I go up to that person in my school that I, I'm, you know, I sit at the lunch table with? And what if I invite them to the next pack the house, the new song students? And what if they label me a Jesus freak and then no one wants to be my friend anymore? It's fear, it's for this what if, fear. Well, why is it that we don't go pray for that person? We see that person and, and we see them struggling with something. We see someone hurting, someone broken, see somebody in a, in a sling. And we don't just go up and say, hey, can I pray for you? Why is it? Because we're afraid. What if they're like, keep your hands to yourself, bro? We're afraid. Why is it that we don't go to stuff like Serve Saturday? I would argue it's because we're afraid. Pastor Josh, it's the weekend. Like, I got a busy week every week. I got a lot going on in the weekend. That's my me time. And if I go, if I go to Serve Saturday, I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough for, for my next week and for my, you know, what I got. I'm afraid. Why is it that we struggle to forgive people? I would argue one of the reasons is because we're afraid. What if I forgive them and so does God? Wow. Like, what, like they, what they did was wrong and they need to pay. And so I, I would forgive them, but you know, God's so nice. He's probably gonna let them off the hook and not even make them pay. Like I don't trust him to be the just judge. That, 
I'm afraid he ain't going to do it the way I want it done. So I'll just hold on to this anger. I'll hold on to this because I don't want to let it, I don't want to let it, let it go. Why is it that we struggle to give? We're afraid. What if I lose my job? What if the industry changes? What if I don't have enough for retirement? What if I can't pay my bills? What, what if? And so the devil, he comes at us with these what if thoughts and he bombs us, he blitzes us. What if? Because he knows if he can, if he can take generosity out of our life, he can ground the gospel through our life. So he works and works and works because he knows this. If these people will get generosity, they'll start looking like Jesus. So you look like Jesus when you're being generous. In fact, remember that definition I gave you? Generosity is living a life that matches the giving nature of God. I hope you know, God is a giver. You know what's so attractive about Jesus? It's that he gave everything. That's, that's the moment when we go, oh my gosh, he, he did what for me? He died for me? He, he gave everything for me? That's so attractive to the person who's lost and broken, this generosity. And so God is a generous God. Think about the Bible. Most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. God so loved, we get that, God loves us, that he, he gave. So the, the message of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus is that God is a giver. And so you look like God when you're a giver. You look like Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is made manifest when you are living a generous life. In fact, we read this on Monday in our Being Transformed journal, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul's talking about this idea. He says, imitate God. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love. There's that love stuff of God following the example of Christ. That's what he did. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, gave himself as a sacrifice. And we're told by Paul, hey, this is how we should be living. Imitate God. Have you ever known anybody that does really good imitations of someone else? Like really good impersonations? I used to have this friend growing up. He was really good at doing impersonations. And he would do them and, and he would always do it in such a way that he would do stuff and you'd be like, oh man. Like he'd, he'd make you recognize stuff about people you know that you didn't even really notice they were doing until he pointed it out with his impersonation. And you'd be like, oh man, they totally do that. You know, people like that. I was watching this interview one time with, with Jim Carrey. Many of you know Jim Carrey, the actor, the movie star. Before he was an actor and movie star, he was a comedian. And, and kind of what got him started in comedy was impersonations. He's incredible in impersonations. If you've never seen like YouTube, some impersonations of Jim Carrey, it's pretty amazing. And they were asking him like, how did you get started in this? Like, how did you start doing this? And he was like, well, I, I kind of recognized as a kid, I was pretty good at it. And then I started practicing. And he was telling the story, he would, he would actually get like a, a TV and he'd watch a scene and then he'd get a mirror out and he would practice what he saw in the scene. And he would just keep going back and forth. He'd look at the screen and then he'd look in the mirror and he would go back and forth between the two until what he saw on the screen matched the reflection he was seeing in the mirror. This is a great picture of what we're called to do as Christ followers. We're to imitate God. And I think it's interesting, the Bible in the book of James talks about how the word of God is like a mirror. We look into the word of God and what do we see in the word of God? We see the character of God. We see the nature of God. We see the attributes of God. We see how God thinks, how, what, what God says, how God looks at the world. We look at that and then we begin to start looking at that and we begin to look at ourselves, and we start going, okay, how am I doing? Am I, am I lining up? And we practice the way, practice the way of Jesus, practice the way, keep going back and forth until we start to line up with the image we're seeing in the word. 
until people start looking at our life and go, man, you do a great Jesus impression. Yeah. Now, let me just tell you what the world needs today is it needs some Christians who are really doing some great Jesus impressions in this world. And here's the kicker. We have a helper in this called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus talked about in John, uh, I think it's 14. He says that I'm going to send you a helper and he's going he's to help you. And you know, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps you is he helps you look like Jesus. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know what that is? That's Jesus personified. And so the Holy Spirit wants to help you. He wants to coach you, come alongside you and help you so that you can begin to produce this fruit through your life that makes you look like Jesus. It's interesting in, in, uh, in the movie world, in Hollywood, they have these people called movement coaches that will be on the set, especially in movies where someone is playing like a historical character, like Elvis or something like that. They'll have this person called a movement coach and the movement coach's job is to study the original and they know the original really well. They've paid attention to the original. They've, they've watched how the original did things in scenes and then they are on the set to help the one imitating look like the original. And so they go to that person, they say, hey, you need to you know, wiggle your hips a little bit more and you need to curl your lip like this and don't say it like that, say it like this and, and do this, don't do that. Listen, this is the Holy Spirit. He knows the original really well. And he wants to come to you and he wants to go, hey, don't do that, do this. Don't say that, say this. Don't think that, think this. Act like this, look like this. And one of the things you better recognize he's gonna do is he's gonna come to you and say, hey, you need to be generous. Because guess what? God is a generous God. And if you're gonna look like Jesus, you gotta live a generous life. Someone say amen. Amen. And so we gotta be generous with our life. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 10. He's calling his disciples out. He's sending them out to do this gospel work, to minister to some people. Look at this, verse seven. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. This was the message of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now look at this. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. You know what that stuff is? That's all Jesus stuff. That's the kind of stuff Jesus does. In fact, we got an equip class coming up. We're gonna be talking about some of this stuff. It's going to be good. going to be good. Get ready for that. He says this then. He says, freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. So let me just remind you, every one of you in here, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, freely you have received from a generous God. Jesus came. Before Jesus, listen, you were you're a mess. Like you didn't have a sin problem. You had a death problem. Wages of sin is dead, is death. You were dead in your sins. And Jesus made a way so that you could be born into new life. And how did he do it? Through generosity. He gave his life so you could have life. By grace, you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He made that possible. God has been generous to you. How many of you would agree by putting your hand up? God has been generous to me. Amen. Look around the room. God's been generous. So faithful, so good. And you know what he expects based on his generosity? Generosity. Because he's been generous to you. He expects you to be generous with him and you to be generous with the world. Because the message of Jesus doesn't end with you. It goes through you. It's called to go through you. The reason we have it is because it went through someone else. Jesus made a way and it went through someone else and we receive of it. 
And so are you, are you living that out? Are you living that out? I want, I want to help you with this today. I'm going to give you seven ways to be generous with your life, seven areas. I had eight. I cut one out because it, it had to be seven, right? God's number. Plus the message was running a little long, so we had to cut one out. Seven ways. If, if the message of Jesus, if evangelism, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is going to go into the atmosphere God's called it to go, access hearts, access minds, be reached in people's lives. Seven areas I think we need to work on. Here's number one. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your time. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, look therefore carefully how you walk. In other words, paying attention to what you're doing with your life, how you're living out your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. In, in today's terms, don't be stupid, be smart, right? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So, so here's the truth for every person in here. We all have 24 hours a day. Can't get any more than that. You can't make more. Like, like your time is not a renewable resource like money. What you have is what you have. You can't renew it, but you can redeem it, the Bible says. In other words, you can make the most of it. And so with your time, there's one of three things going down with your time all the time. You're either wasting your time, which we don't want to do, and we work really hard to try not to do that. We're spending our time, which is what we do a lot of the time, or we're investing our time. And the only way you can invest your time is to put it into the kingdom of God, like investment that really is going to last. Because Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth, because all this ain't going to last. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven. So we can, through a life lived for the kingdom, we can begin to store up something for ourselves. So not only when, when you look to invest your time into the kingdom, are you blessing and helping other people come to know Jesus, but you're actually storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. So my question to you is, if someone was to look at your life, is there any evidence in your life in how you spend your time or how you invest your time that you are about something beyond the kingdom of this world? And if not... We need to work on that, right? Be generous with your time. Invest your time. Don't waste your time. We don't want to waste our time, but don't just spend your time either. Invest your time. Here's number two. Be generous with your encouragement. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Now, when the Bible talks about the tongue here, it's not talking about the muscle of the tongue. It's talking about what the tongue helps us produce, which is words. Words are weighty. Words are a big deal. Life and death, big deal stuff, Right? You ever had someone come up to you and say, it's a matter of life and death. That means this is important, okay? So important stuff is based on the words that are coming out of your mouth. What you say is either encouraging, putting courage in, lifting people up, or it's discouraging. And I think we can all agree we live in a very discouraging world. And there are a lot of critics in the world. There's a lot of griping in the world. And it is so specific, isn't it? People are so specific with their criticism. <laughs> so specific with their griping. And what I've noticed is a lot of times we're so specific with that stuff, but we're really vague with our encouragement. We'll like run somebody down. Here's 15 things I don't like about your attitude. And then they come back and they do something good. And we're like, hey, good job. <laughs> My encouragement to you is be specifically encouraging. Look for ways to encourage people and look for ways to encourage them today. In fact, look at this verse, Hebrews 3.13 but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. You know what that means? It's always today, right? 
You're never in tomorrow and you're never in the past. Like you're always in the today. So as long as it's today, we should be looking for ways to encourage other people. Put courage in. Write a thank you note. Send a text. Call somebody and then be specific. Let them know, hey, you're, you know, I want to let you know you're such a good mother. And let me tell you like three things I've noticed about how you, how you mother your kids that I just, I aspire to be a mother like you, or you're such a good like business owner. And I, I, someday I want to be a business owner like you and the way that you lead your team and the way that you encourage it, like just let people know, encourage, put courage in, be specific, be generous with your encouragement. Here's number three, be generous with your honor. Somebody say honor. honor. Romans 12, 10 says, be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves. The Bible has a lot to say about honor. And and the reason why is because honor is something that can be easily lost. And so part of, part of honor is encouraging, right? Because when you encourage someone, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're seeing something and you're bringing it out into the light and you're exposing it and bringing it out in the light so that that person can be encouraged by the good thing that they are doing. But, but, but also sometimes honor means that we don't expose the area where someone's falling short of our ideal. Now, listen, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about covering someone's sin. Like I'm not talking about hiding something bad that's going on. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when someone falls short of our ideal that we don't do all of this stuff to dishonor them for not living up to the standard that we have for them. See, here's the thing in life. There is a gap between ideal and real. The ideal is like this concept we have of how someone should live, what someone should do, what someone should have said. There's this ideal concept that we all have of people in our, in our marriages, in our relationships, our bosses, our parents. There's this ideal version, but how many of you know there's a gap between what is ideal and what is real? And where honor plays in is honor has to do with what we fill in between that gap. If what we put in between that gap between who they really are, what they really did, and who we ideally would want them to be, if what we fill into that space is, is dishonor, is talking about them behind their back, it's, it's bringing into the light things that don't need to be brought into the light. Now, again, if it needs to be brought into the light, that's a different story. I'm talking about they fall short of your standard. If, if that's going on, then you're dishonoring. But if you're willing to, to sometimes just shut your mouth... Or, or be willing to offer them grace. Listen, that's honor. And I was thinking about this this week. You know, that's what Jesus did with us. Jesus honored us with his sacrifice. Jesus looked at us. Think about this. He looked at us in our real, and he had this ideal version of us. But, but so what did he do? He, he filled in the gap between the real and the ideal with grace and forgiveness and love and made it possible so we can move from our real into our ideal. And we continue to move from our real into our ideal because the grace of God is available because he honored us with his sacrifice. If Jesus was generous with his honor, we gotta be generous with our honor. Here's number four. Be generous with your forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32. Am I helping you today? You guys are getting quiet. This must be hitting, but I'm, I'm guessing it's hitting. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. That's some big forgiveness. 
just as in Christ God forgave you. Think about this. At the heart of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is we have received forgiveness we didn't deserve. Like we, we, we were forgiven greatly. And, and so if that's the heart of the gospel message, shouldn't that be the heart of how we live our life? Shouldn't we force, first and foremost, as Christians, as people practicing the way of Jesus, shouldn't we be offering forgiveness to others in the, in the same measure that we've been forgiven ourselves? I think we should, but we, but we struggle with it, don't we? And, and one of the reasons why is because it, it, like forgiveness, like people, sometimes we got to forgive people that wronged us and they were wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. And so here's some advice people will give you. And this isn't helpful advice. They'll say to you, hey, you just need to forgive and forget. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Just, you just got to forget about it. Just forgive and forget. Let me just tell you, the key to forgiveness is not forgive and forget. It's forgive, it's, for, it's forgive and remember. Not remember what they did. Remember what Jesus did. We forgive and we remember love, the love that was poured out on us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down their life for a friend. That's the love Jesus extended for you. And here's what happens. When you, when you begin to go back to the forgiveness you've received and remind yourself, oh my gosh, I was a mess. I was a... I was such a mess. I was so broken. I was so messed up. And God forgave me at my worst. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He forgave me of all this dumb stuff I've done throughout the years. Man, he's been so good to me. When you start to feel forgiven, guess what? It gets a lot easier to forgive. And so if you want to be generous with your forgiveness, remember, you have been forgiven greatly. Here's number five. Be generous with your assistance. Martin Luther said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Now, again, we're practicing the way of Jesus, right? We're trying to look like Jesus, imitate God. We're to imitate Jesus in this world. So understand this about the life that Jesus lived. It was a life lived of sacrifice, and it cost Jesus greatly. Your salvation, while you receive it for free, it's not because it costs nothing. It costs Jesus everything. Jesus stepped out of heaven into humanity. He, he, he laid down massive parts of his divinity to take on humanity. And then he became a part of the humanity that he created, let me remind you, and allowed the humanity that he created to rip him apart and kill him on a cross. His sacrifice cost him greatly. So listen, if we're called to look like him, you better recognize. Like if someone told you that this Christian stuff ain't gonna cost you much, they lied to you. It's gonna cost. Sometimes answering the call of God on your life is gonna cost you. Like, you know, you wanna come to serve Saturday, it's gonna cost you. You're gonna have to get up a little bit earlier and you're gonna lose some sleep. It's gonna cost you. You're gonna go on a, on a new song mission trip it's gonna, you're gonna have to like raise the funds for that. It's gonna cost you. You're gonna have to probably spend some vacation days on that. It's gonna cost you. You're gonna be part of our Embrace Grace ministry. There's probably gonna be a time that someone comes to you and says, hey, can you drive clear across town? Cause there's a lady over here who needs help and she doesn't have the money to get a, a ride and she doesn't have a car. Would you go pick her up and drive her 30 minutes over here? It's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you time. It's gonna cost you some gas money. But, but let me remind you, it, your salvation cost Jesus everything. 
And if what we can do with our generous life leads someone else to the foot of salvation, it, it's well worth whatever it costs. Someone say amen. amen. So, so man, we get to be investors with the generosity of our life in the kingdom of God. So be generous with your assistance. Here's number six. Be generous with your stories. Stories. First Peter 3, 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And Grace Taylor says this, your story could be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. Don't be afraid to share it. I think one of the reasons sometimes we struggle with sharing our story is there's a couple, a couple reasons. One is we feel like our story isn't good enough. In that, our story isn't bad enough. Like we don't have enough bad in our, in our stories. Like, well, I grew up in Edmond and I, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. No, there's not a lot there, right? Or, or we feel like I've got a really bad story but I don't know that I can share it because I don't know the, the word of God very good. Like I'm not a theologian. And if someone really asks me, I'm not gonna know how to answer them. Well, let me, let me just remind you of a couple things. One is that your testimony is not about how bad you were. It's about how good God is. And then two, your testimony is your story of God's goodness in your life. And it's not just one story, it's any story. Like, that's why I said, be generous with your stories, because it's not just the one story of how you came to Jesus. It's anytime God's shown up for you. God, we, we couldn't have children, and God blessed us with babies. We, we, were, we were without, we didn't have enough money, and God blessed us with a job. We didn't know what to do, and God gave us direction. It's any story of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life. You need to share that story, because there's a world out there that's going, what do we do? Where is hope? What, where, where, where do we find purpose? And you get to insert the story of God's goodness and faithfulness into that space and show them there is a way and it comes through Jesus. Be generous with your stories. Here's number seven. Be generous with your, you knew it was coming, your money. Be generous with your money. Here's the thing. I said it earlier. Everything you have came from God. Everything you have. And everything that exists belongs to God. The Bible says it like this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. A lot of hills, a lot of cows. The Bible says the heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the world and all. Somebody say all. All it contains. Everything is from God. Everything. Whatever you got, worth bragging about, you have it because God put it in your life. That includes all the money in your bank account right now came from God. So let me just tell you a bad look. Here's a bad look for you. If someone was to give you a whole bunch of stuff and bless you with a whole bunch of stuff and then come back to you and say, hey, would you use some of this stuff I gave you to help me do some stuff I want to do in this world? And you're like, no, that's a bad look, isn't it? Yeah, I know you were generous with me and everything I have, I have because of you, but, but now I have it and I'm holding on to it. And here's what happens. We struggle with generosity. We're struggling with this fear that there's not enough. If I give what I have away, whatever it may be, I'm not gonna have enough. I'm not gonna have enough rest. I'm not gonna have enough money. I'm not gonna have enough, whatever. I'm not gonna have enough if I'm giving everything I got away. And what we, what we do in that moment is we see God the wrong way because we see God as a taker, not a giver. And we see ourselves as having to protect ourselves from God. 
You know how to protect yourself from God. God is a generous giver. And if God asks you for something, it's because he's got something for you. Jesus says it like this, Luke 12, 32. He says, and I love the way this is phrased. This is such a sweet verse. Do not fear little flock. I just love that. Just fuzzy little verse. <laughs> now look at this. For it's your father's good pleasure. It, it's his joy to give you the kingdom. I don't know if you've studied the kingdom, but if you haven't, you should, because the kingdom is good. It's really super good. And it's the pleasure of God, it's the joy of God to give it to you. John 10, 10, Jesus talking about his purpose. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So anytime God's asking anything of you, it's not because he's trying to take something from you. The only thing God wants to take from you is sin and pain and sickness and disease and st ugh, that stuff. If he's asking for something, it's because he has something else for you. It's something he wants to do through you. He's inviting you to be a part of this generous story that he's bringing into this world. So be generous. Here's what it boils down to. We serve a generous God, a giving God who's been so generous to us. Man, I, I just this whole weekend, I've just been through worship, just been thanking the Lord for his generosity. I've been so blessed. He's been so generous to me. My wife, oh my gosh, my, my, my home, my children, that I got to be raised with my parents. My parents are ballers. Like I was so blessed to have these amazing parents. This church, what God is doing here, you, you guys, like I'm so thankful for you. What God is doing with us in this city, it's, it's awesome. Like I'm, I'm and, and, and so you know, it's not because I've been nailing it like I'm perfect, because I'm not. God's been generous to me in spite of me not being perfect with my life. He's, because he's just that way, he's a generous God and because he's been generous, he expects generosity. He expects me to live an open-handed life saying, God, everything I have, it came from you and everything I have, it's for you. So I'll give you whatever you want. And it, it's when we, when we take on that mindset, we can take this message, this gospel evangelism message of Jesus, and we can, we can overwhelm the world that's being overwhelmed with this good news, this message of Jesus Christ machine gun them with the love of God, the peace of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the purpose of God. We can, we can bring that to them and we can access where we need to go through generosity. We can go into the atmosphere and bring this message. But, but listen, the devil, he gets it. He sees it. He does not want you to do this. And so he is going to bomb you. He is going to blitz you. He is going to do everything he can to keep this grounded out of your life, to keep you from doing the things God's called you to do so that you cannot image God in this world. And so, but, so you have to make up your mind. I will walk in generosity despite fear. I will walk by faith. I will live a life of faith, not by sight. I will honor God with every part of my life. Even if it feels like it's costing me, even if it feels scary, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live a fully submitted, fully sacrificed life of generosity because the God I serve has been so generous to me. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we just thank you. God, we're so grateful. We serve a generous God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you'd speak to every person in this room right now. That you would help this message to hit home. What do we need to see that we're not seeing? 
What do we need to do that we're not doing? What do we need to think that we're not thinking? We just say, Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Thank you for being our helper. Lead us and guide us to truth. The truth of what you've called us to do. The truth of who you've called us to reach. Help us, Lord. Help us. We thank you, Lord. Your word says that perfect love casts out fear. I just thank you that the, the love of God would be so apparent in this room. That you would overwhelm people with your love. So that any fear that they would have that would cause them to want to hold back from you would just be overwhelmed by the love of God. So we can live the generous life you've called us to. Lord, we recognize it's all from you. We thank you for it all. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. I'm gonna invite the altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you're here today and you have a prayer need of some kind, we'd love to pray for you. We would love to uh, join our faith with yours for whatever it is you might be believing for. We say here at New Song Church, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, if it's a big deal to you, I want you to know it's a big deal to God because you're a big deal to God. He loves you and he wants to help you. And he doesn't want you to have to do this stuff alone. And so we would love to pray with you. And we just believe what the word of God says. It says that when we come together with other believers and we pray that there's, it, our, our prayers are become more powerful. And, and so we would love to partner with you, lay hands on you. Not gonna do anything weird, just, just to help you in whatever it is you're believing God for. Maybe you're here today and you've never received this generous gift of salvation. Maybe you never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on you today. You feel God kind of calling you. Like there's something in you right now that's going, man, it's time to get right. It's time to get right. You feel far from God and you want to be close. We, we'd love to help you with that. There's a simple prayer we'd like to lead you in and then we'd like to help you to take some steps to walk out this life of faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you, whatever the case may be, we would love to pray for you today. So would you stand with us? We're going to go back into a time of worship. And I, I just want to encourage you, you hear this message on the generosity of God. Let's just be generous with our worship one last time. Let's, let's just be, be those people who are willing to go all in. Like, like go all in with the Lord right now. In fact, if you would, would you lift your hands with me? And, and, I, and I love to think about, I've been thinking about this all weekend. You know, one of the times we, sometimes we lift our hands. You ever seen a little kid go up to its parents and they lift their hands? They lift their hands up and they're saying, hey, would you pick me up? That's what they're saying. They lift up their little hands. That's, that's us. Maybe you need to pick me up right now. Just extend your hands. They say, Lord, I love you. And I need to pick me up. And I'm, I worship you right now. I pour out my praise on you. And I thank you that as I do, you begin to pick me up. You show me what I need to see. If, and, and if you need prayer, you can come down at this time. Lord, I just pray as we go into this next few moments, you minister to your people that you love so dearly. And I thank you. If there's anyone in this room that has a prayer need of any kind, that you would give them the faith and the boldness to step out and receive all you have for them. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.